everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 26, listener spotlight number one, recorded November 13th, 2011. That's right, folks, we have our first ever listener spotlight on the Everyday Linux show. That means we have a listener. Yay! So if we have more than one listener, maybe we can have more than one listener spotlight. That would be cool. Uh, So uh, with us is a man who likes to be known as Danny Boy in the forums and in the chat room. So say hello, Danny Boy. Hey there. And uh, joining him, we have a full spate of hosts tonight. Everybody is here all at once, plus a guest. I don't think that's ever happened before. So, oh uh, my God! So we have we have Mr. Chris Neves, who uh, is just praying now. Uh, hello, Chris. <laughs> hello, everyone. How's it tonight? Things are good. And Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. Hi, Aaron. Hello, this is me pretending to be chipper. <laughs> Aaron's a little um, under the weather tonight. I don't know. Is anybody ever over the weather? Um, but anyway. Uh, and uh, the gooey kid, Seth Anderson, is with us as well. Hey, Seth. Hey, Mark. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here again. All right. So we have six people on the show tonight. That ought to be interesting. Six people? Yeah, there's... Four of you plus me plus Danny. That's six, right? No, no three of us. Count yourself twice. <laughs> no. Wow, I had a real. See, I'm looking at the the video, and I've got my window twice, so I was counting windows. Wow. <laughs> there actually, you go. Wasn't actually looking at who's in the video. Yeah, that's too much. It was just just counting. We have five people tonight, and plus our one listener. That's six. Ah. Oh, there you go. I was counting the one listener other than Danny. Hello, one listener. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, uh, okay, without further ado, let's get on with further ado. Uh, First off, I want to start out with feedback from our one listener. So so we have Danny on, plus we have another listener that's two listeners worldwide. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had asked for uh, feedback, and so we got some, and I'm going to play for you, as I threatened uh, from the beginning. Uh, the first voicemail that we've received, and it's from Keith. So let's give it a listen. Hello. Hello. My name is Keith, and I'm one of those listeners who haven't uh, left a comment, but I've listened to your program for, uh, for quite a while. And I listened to your program about interfaces, and I uh, was wondering if uh, any of you have reviewed the uh, distro of uh, Ultimate Edition. I've used that one from uh, Edition 2.6 to 2.9, and it carries both um, GNOME and KDE at the same time. Um, Just wanted to hear your thoughts and your comments, and maybe you can review this on one of your shows. All right, and that was Keith. Thanks, Keith, for uh, chiming in there. I had never heard of Ultimate Edition Linux until this. I went and checked it out. Um, guys, did either any of you look at it? Is that the Linux that um, allows you to boot up and choose between, like, was it three or four different ones? No, that's the Linux Ultimate Boot okay. disk or something like that. No, Ultimate Edition Linux is... Uh, from my cursory examination of it, it's uh, uh, Ubuntu with everything. It should be called Kitchen Sink Linux. Oh, okay. 
Uh, it's uh, Ubuntu that takes a full DVD to install. Uh, so that gives you an idea of how much they put on it. It's got, uh, like you said, it's got GNOME and KDE and I think like Flexbox and, and uh, LX, what, what is that one that's so popular right now? LXDE. LXDE, that's the one. Um, plus it's got all kinds of games and uh, programming IDEs and, and uh, uh, music players. It's got like, uh, Banshee and Rocks and play, uh, uh, man, what? Blank. Rhythm box. Rhythm box. Thank you, Roxio. That's the other. That's on Windows. Uh, it's got it's got all sorts of stuff just crammed in there. Um, but essentially, that's my take on it. It's Ubuntu with everything else. So it's got all your codecs and all that stuff, which is great. So you can do almost everything out of the box. And it's got some uh, enhanced graphics. Uh, uh, I think it was like twenty six hundred themes that you could choose from. Lots and lots wow. of themes. Maybe, maybe I'm adding a zero. Maybe it was two hundred sixty. Uh, but anyway, still it was, a lot. It was a bunch. It was lots and lots of of themes, and uh, it was just you know. So if you like Ubuntu uh, and you want some extra stuff on it, that saves you the trouble of going to get all the extra stuff. Well, I'll definitely say I'll put it in the virtual machines and give it a good shaking, and I'll report what I think about it later. Yeah, I, I didn't spend a lot of time with it, just a, a couple of hours. Um, and my personally, I don't think it is as graphically appealing as Mint, which is pretty much the same thing, you know, Ubuntu with stuff added. So it, it just my personal opinion, if I were going to choose between, if I were going to choose Ubuntu Plus, Mint is what I would go with over Ultimate Edition Linux. But... Um, you know, there's stuff there that may appeal to other people. So thanks, Keith, for letting us know, and thanks for being a listener. Yeah, I guess if yeah, you were like... thanks for the if, feedback. If you were going to use, like, booting off of a live CD, maybe for travel or some type of system recovery or, um, you know, system access, Ultimate might be really good because I'm sure there's some hardware sets where one, like, GNOME is better than KDE or vice versa. And it would be cool to have all of that rather than waiting for it to download for people who don't have high, super high speed like myself. Yeah, and they, they make it, there's a, a fairly easy way to switch back and forth between. You can log out of KDE and log into GNOME or, or the others pretty easily. So, yeah, if you find yourself in that situation, but I, I'm not aware of that being an issue. I mean, KDE apps will run anywhere as long as the, the QT library is there. Um, yeah. And no maps will run anywhere as long as the the GTK library is there. So I'm not really seeing the benefit of that. Maybe somebody, maybe Keith needs to come on the show and set me straight. Yeah, that'd be another good listener spotlight. I know for like what you were just saying there, Seth. Um, I would rather use something like Nopix for a recovery disk than uh, you know, because that's as small as a CD instead of a DVD. Yeah. yeah, but if you use if you were like a Unix or a, an Ubuntu person, you know, when you were like. Well. You know, I could see where it could have, I could see the appeal of having it. Um, if I had a bigger computer that I traveled with, um, I might, I would probably look into it because it seems to fit how I like to use computers. Danny, you have a comment on that at all? Um, well, let's see. I don't, I've got an old laptop. I, you talk about laptop, right? Uh, anything, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, someday that I can get a decent laptop. I got a real old one that the monitor doesn't work on it. So XP was very, very, very uh, slow as can be. So I put Linux on it 
and somewhat quicker, but it's still sluggish. But eventually, someday, I'm going to get a good netbook or laptop to use when if I'm ever on the go and um, get by that way. I think uh, I think saying that, that XP is slow is, is sort of universal, <laughs> regardless of your hardware. You, well, you, the problem is it's a it's a, a brand name that had a lot of extra business on it, right. and it was just full of trial wear, and it was just very, very unwieldy. The antivirus hmm. that came with it was a trial version, and um, so I, she gave it to me because the monitor didn't work anymore, and I said, well, I'll take it, and put Linux on it put Linux on is that all right and I checked with her several times to make darn sure she didn't mind that joker being erased <laughs> that's the best thing you can do with Windows is erase it no <laughs> pretty much <laughs> XP maybe uh, actually I like Vista a lot uh, I mean 7 not Vista <laughs> I can't believe I said that uh, I like 7 Mark you just that. lost Greek, you lost geek cred right, with that yeah. statement yeah um all right, guys. What's in the What's in the news? Oh, oh wait, Chris. You you uh, uh, we we mentioned Aaron is feeling under the weather. You wanted to mention something about that yourself, right? Yeah, my daughter about Tuesday decided to share a cold with me, so I was literally put to the ground for the last oh four or five days. Stayed home from work all from Wednesday to to just. I think I started feeling better yesterday. So yeah, I was I was put to the ground, so to speak, and I was not a happy camper i'm still feeling a little bit so if you guys hear my voice all of a sudden go deep south on you you know why <laughs> yeah. uh, not long ago, my daughter gave me the gift of strep throat so i'm right mm, joy yeah. that's no fun incidentally the phrase under the weather comes from the days when on sailing ships when people were sick they went below and that's why they were said to be quote under the weather well there you go ah, awesome well, it was germs that slew the martians <laughs> all right uh valve got in some trouble this week chris tell us about that yeah it did um well i just picked up on this news story yesterday because i opened my steam account for the weekend updates of anything and i got a big old prompt which is at the bottom of our show notes or anybody that's got steam has got this thing shoved in their face too that on november um sixth they found out that they got hacked and they they were digging into it to find out how bad they got hacked and on the 10th they issued this notice saying that it wasn't just a forum hack it was everything hack so anyone who's listening who uses steam go change your passwords on anything that uses that password because people are gonna be digging for it and it's not that they just got access they actually got the databases of user information. So this is a pretty big thing. And wow. this is why people encourage you to use a different uh, password or, and username, if possible, on every website. Because it's not that, that you've lost your Steam account. They're going to fix that. And you know if anything is stolen or whatever, they'll find out and they'll restore that. But if you happen to use the same password on, say, eBay um, or you know PayPal... Then or your now, credit card, yeah, or your credit card. Now uh, you have to risk. Uh, you have to. You run the risk of them trying that database against other services. Right. Oop. Sorry, I, I clicked the block Seth Anderson button instead of look at Seth Anderson. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Okay, and so, uh, Seth, what did you have in there? Recovering a hard drive? Yeah, I ran across a couple of articles, and I didn't really want to go through it kind of line by line, but it was just, you know, we're all about encouraging people to at least give Linux a try. And this is a great way uh, where a person used a Linux live CD to access their Windows machine that had kind of died. And they did a step-by-step article on um, kind of the process they went through in order to be able to rescue their data after Windows said, sorry, I can't do anything with this. And um, so the link will be in the show notes, and it's just called Recovering from a Hard Drive Failure. So uh, I thought it was a pretty neat article. It was written so you don't have to be a geek to understand it. You just uh, have to take a few minutes to read it. Okay, and so that's uh, that article is about using a live CD of Linux. Did you recommend a particular live CD? Uh, let me look through here. They used... Um, I don't see it. it. Oh, uh, Ubuntu Live CD is what they used. I didn't know there was an Ubuntu. Well, I, yeah, I guess I, I was thinking an Ubuntu Rescue CD. Yeah, I knew there was an Ubuntu Live CD. Um, I'd like to see a rescued CD based on Ubuntu. I think that'd be neat. I do know they'd make one, um, like a, even one in command line, and it was really uh, and like kind of almost a forensic type CD. I haven't really looked at it, but it was something I came across in my studies and filed it away in my head for future reference. Command line, that's right up Chris's alley. Yes. Something like that. Uh, and then the next thing you had put in there, um, what what is it? How to convince your friends into using Linux? Is that what that is? Uh, how to convince your friends to use Linux without being a jerk. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, because it's almost like, um, you know, it's almost like a Mac Windows war if you just say, well, you should lose Linux because you don't get a virus and it's the most perfect operating system and it's free and you don't have to pay for it. And, you know, people just like, I know whole podcasts like that. I know that's their whole thing week after week is Linux is perfect. Use Linux. Yeah. And so he just went through um, kind of some ways you can do it. In more of like a, hey, give this a try, you might like it. Uh, and it, just some of the show, don't tell, stop telling the Windows is bad. Um, and if they get stuck, and don't emphasize the free part. Right. We're just, and then if you want to read the article, it can just go into all of that. And that brings us into uh, a perfect natural segue into uh, Danny Boy. Danny, uh, how did you... Um get to introduced to Linux and how did you start dabbling with it? Well, uh, what happened, I have to go back a few years. I've been a user of, uh, uh, computers ever since the days of DOS. And, um, I, well, really I started first on a mainframe and back then, um, I used a, uh, no, I take that back. It was, it was a DOS it was a, uh, yeah, it was a mainframe. It was a, uh, terminal, talking terminal that I had to hook up to a modem. And then you would dial into a mainframe and read email over what was called a shell account. And that took some doing because I had to remember all the commands, like, uh, how to read the message, 
we had to get in the mail, list the message. I won't go into all that, but it was just really uh, tedious. Uh, then I got into a DOS machine in the mid-80s and worked with that until, let's see, Oh, I should add for your listeners, I'm totally blind. Yeah, that's. I was going to go there too. We we forgot to mention that. What part of what uh, uh, brought Danny on the show was he? Um, I mentioned uh, early on uh, the Kurzweil uh, text to speech reader, and uh, Danny uses that tool or has used that tool, and uh, emailed to correct me on my pronunciation of it, and uh, and that began a, a back and forth, and we decided to bring him on the show to talk about you know not just the fact that he's blind, but uh, the fact that he's a Linux user, and that uh, you know there are accessibility uh, utilities in Linux, and uh, so now you can continue. So anyway, what I, I used a DOS screen reader. A screen reader is a piece of software that tells me what's on the screen. And back in the old days, it used to be that I'd hook up a, a hardware box that would be the synthesizer, and then you'd run the software, okay? Nowadays, typically, um, the speech synthesizer is more often software than hardware now. But in those days, it was hardware. And uh, that carried over into the Windows 3.1 days, and which I ran on a second machine. My old 90, then eventually came 95. And eventually I got, uh, that machine wouldn't work anymore. It got corrupted and I had to get a 90, another machine and run 98. Well, I thought, what am I going to do with this old 95 machine? Well, I read that somebody had developed a program for Linux called SpeakUp. And SpeakUp is a command line. See, back then, th I think there was graphical uh, user interface with uh, Linux, but it wasn't developed. It wasn't, there was no talkie program for it yet. This was in 1997. So I got in touch with the SpeakUp list. And one of those guys named Bill Acker, he got me going on SpeakUp. He, he was mighty patient with me. He gave me all the things to do, the commands, and I downloaded SpeakUp and put it on that machine. What you had to do back then was use a floppy, use a series of floppies, and put it on the machine that way. It was, I think it was a Red Hat, it was a version of Red Hat. I want to say version four, but I don't remember exactly. But there was not enough memory to run the GUI, but even if I had, there would not have been a program to help me use X Windows. Well, I used to speak up. I used Linux back then to do things such as read my email or listen to an, an MP3 stream or whatnot, you know, internet stream. Um, eventually, though, about 2001, that machine died. So I did not use Linux again until in night in 2007. I now I had been using I got a Mac in 2005 because my Windows machine broke down. So I got a Mac and I thought, well, I'll try it because Apple had VoiceOver, which is uh, the screen reader for the Mac built into the system because back before Tiger. No solution whatsoever, except in the nine and below, people could use a third-party program called Outspoken, but they don't make that anymore, and it never carried over into System 10. 
So the Mac users went for a while with no solution until the days of 10.4. Then I got a Windows machine. And I thought, you know, I want to try Linux again one day. Well, I got VMware Fusion and put on my Mac. And um, I got a, uh, I want to say it was a version of Ubuntu. I think it was Ubuntu 8 something then. And it had a screen reader called Orca. And by the way, I emailed you all a link to that, to the, um, well, I'll get to that later. Um, I did not, I don't remember the link to Orca, but um, Orca is a screen reading program for the Linux. It's in some Linux distributions, but not all. The other problem is that some Linux distributions do not come with a talking installation. And so that is a problem. That was such a problem that somebody named Tony Sales, I think, he developed a version of Linux called uh, Vinix. And Vinix is a version of Linux based on Ubuntu, which has Orca built in it. Uh, in the uh, startup phase. And it has, um, it's based on GNOME 2. And uh, the goal eventually is to spread awareness about Orca to the point where eventually distributions of Linux will have Orca built in and we won't have to, from in the installation, and we won't have to have a special distribution of Linux at all. That's my hope. So but, is Linux your day-to-day -day workstation? Is that what you do stuff with? Well, in, I use it in a virtual machine and on that old laptop now. And I, I don't use it every single day, but I use it for secondary things. I use it to read some web stuff. I check IMAP email with it. I have not yet gotten Skype to work with it. There are some people that, some brave souls that use it for every single thing, which I think that's great. I'm not there quite yet. Um, one thing I think would be wonderful if KDE, if the QTE and KDE stuff eventually becomes accessible, that would really be nice because it would be kind of fun to play with other desktops and, and, uh, all that business. Of course, since I don't use a mouse and I use a keyboard, it doesn't matter how they look, but it matters to me how the menus, how workable the menus are. For example, the, the Unity interface really threw me because one <laughs> hey, cannot... You and everybody else, Danny. One cannot just push the uh, Alt-F... I believe it's Alt-F1 and get to all the menus the way I once did. So there is a bit of a, there's a big difference there. And um, um, some programs are not workable for me yet. For example, there's a program called Mumble, which is not accessible because of the way it's written. It's a cross-platform program. But I hope that one day it will be. And um, interestingly, LibreOffice is not perfectly accessible, but... The Windows LibreOffice is hard for me to use. The Mac is not much better. The Linux version of LibreOffice is fairly decent. Go figure. And uh, describe the difference. What makes it more uh, usable? My guess is probably 
uh, luck as much as anything because the, uh, I'm guessing that maybe the fact that Linux is free, the fact that it's open source could allow the developers of LibreOffice to uh, div make their program to work better with it in terms of uh, how it hooks in there to how Orca can find everything. I really don't know because... So, but can you describe the difference in terms of using? I mean, is it um, it speaks more to you than the others do? Or? I get to the menus more easily. Now, some of the uh, formatting of text I'm not good at yet. You know, like uh, some of it's not workable, but I make basic documents with it. I aim to get a printer someday so that I can print out stuff and you may wonder, why a printer? You can't read it. Well, that's true. I can't read it. But uh, say <laughs> if I wanted to have a note for somebody else, and that way it would be a darn good idea. Because yeah. I've got an old manual typewriter, and that's not the easiest thing to use. I, bet, I, would almost uh, bet that, <clears throat> I would almost bet that the reason that the Orchid software is working better with in Linux for the LibreOffice is mainly because it's still following the same menu options that OpenOffice had, which has been in Linux for a long, long time. So then it's getting more, um, it's so similar that there isn't much they have to recode. That's probably a good chunk of it. Uh, my guess, and this is only a guess, that as things get more and more cross-platform, that could either be the best thing that could happen to me as far as accessibility or the worst, depending on how careful developers are to build uh, things according to standards that would allow keyboard accessors to do things easily. And really, accessibility is just good for everyone, not just for people, not just for handicap, but for anyone, because you got a lot of baby boomers that are, they may not need a talking computer, but by gum, they may need their stuff magnified. You know, I, I don't know if you've listened to the episode yet, but last week we, we talked a, a good bit about interfaces and, you know, the difference between uh, different systems. And uh, it occurs to me that as we move toward, you know, the, the phrase I used last week, the tabletification of the OS, the, the making everything simpler and smaller and more secure, I, I wonder if we're not moving away from accessibility in that, for example, um, coders have to be able to, to get to some of those really low-level things to interface with the keyboard and, and um, that sort of thing. And, and operating systems are now trend, tending more toward taking that kind of control and access away. Are you seeing that? Like you said, you use your Mac uh, pretty much day-to-day. Uh, -day. Are you seeing that progression toward less access or more? Well, I can say as far as Apple. Apple have done a really great job of uh, building accessibility into their iPhone and their Macintosh. But Android is a nightmare because you've got, yes, there is accessibility in some Android things, but all the phones are different. The versions of Android are different. The, the way the screen readers work are different. And now you want people, they want to have tablets with no buttons on them which means that probably people are going to, if they're not careful and they don't think, they're probably going to let accessibility go by the wayside. I surely hope not. Um, I think the only thing to do is just to raise awareness with people because I think a lot of people that develop things, they just plain don't think about it. It's not that they're trying to shut me out of their markets, but they just plain aren't aware. Right. 
so in uh, what is your day-to-day computing platform? Is that your Mac? Mainly, yes. But I love the idea that I can jump onto a Linux machine with a if the CD, if the Linux machine, if the, a, a given computer is set to where the BIOS will allow it to boot from the CD, it's nice that there is an accessible solution that I could theoretically carry around with me if I had to. So, um, I'm I'm trying. What I'm trying to ask Cam Handley mm-hmm. is: uh, Is there what about the Mac makes it better for your workflow? Why well, is it for- that you have chosen that one? For me, uh, Skype works well on the Mac uh, as far as Skype does. There are some things that are hard to do in Skype, but um, it works better than it did on Windows. The other thing I like about it is when, when there are programs that I must work, for example, programs that uh, deal with uh, reading books in certain formats that can be done in Windows that cannot be done on the Mac. I like the fact that in Fusion, unlike Parallels, I can begin, I could set up or maintain a a, uh, a virtual machine myself, whereas, and it's fully accessible with VoiceOver, whereas, you know, in other words, it boots into Windows and I use my Windows screen reader or Linux, whichever I'm running, whereas with Parallels, you can't do it. And VirtualBox is not yet accessible, I don't think, um, which is, uh, I think, the case. VMware, interestingly, if I get a powerful enough uh, Linux machine someday, which I want to move to Linux in a primary fashion one day, um, I could theoretically run my Windows machine under that under with VMware Player if I really wanted to. Um, as far as Mac, um, it, to me, it's just a solid system where if it goes haywire, I can install. I can put in the Mac disk and uh, reinstall if I must. I have not yet had to do that. Um, where I see Linux, where I see the promise of Linux is that when it becomes more and more accessible, um, and I can eventually move over full time in Linux, that would be good because there's not that upgrade price all the time. Um, and um, I see that as a real boon for people because there are a lot of people that don't have the money for a Mac. And yeah, amen, brother. Yeah, I'm hoping yeah. that what I want to do is to get a there's a Braille program called uh, NFB Trans, which is a command line program only. Um, I want to play around with that someday. I don't have a Braille embosser right now, but I'm hoping to get one someday. That's a long time down the road, but and see if I can have Linux to a program in Linux to translate things into Braille if possible. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious, do you find one browser, web browser better, or is there one that gives you a better browsing experience uh, than the other? We, you know, we, uh, people who don't need any additional uh, aids often, you know, bandy about IE or Firefox or Chrome, and we talk about one being a millisecond faster and another having better plugins. I wonder if you are experience the same thing, that one gives you a better performance or a better experience over another. Well, that's why I maintain my virtual Windows machine, because there are times, due to the layouts of different websites or due to the way they work, where 
let's say there's a button on a particular website, but I cannot pick it up. Let's say somebody tells me, when you get to such and so website, click on the so and so button. If VoiceOver cannot pick it up, I'll try it with either Firefox in Linux or Windows to see if I can do it. And then if I cannot do it, I'll try Windows in uh, Explorer. And it helps to have different access means because maybe this program can pick up what that one cannot. Okay. And, you know, being a bit of a web coder myself, I know that uh, uh, it's probably my fault that, that you can't get to uh, certain things because those uh, you have to, you know, uh, identify tags and, and name things and follow the conventions. And, and a lot of us don't do that. Uh, or we'll, we'll use some tool like a Drupal or a, a Joomla or something that doesn't, the templates don't do that. So Something that uh, paints a lot of people what they do when they make websites. I don't know whether you've done it, but... They they find it easy to draw the text in because it's cross-platform and it looks nice and all that. And they don't put the alt text in, which tells people what the image or graphic or button may be. I, I am guilty of that, I have to confess. And I chalk that up to just plain not being aware. I chalk it up to being lazy because uh, I'm aware. <laughs> Maybe a mix I just both. don't do it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so, uh, well, uh, having asked that, do you have any trouble on our website, on the elementopi.com? Well, site? I wanted to to uh, find a way to use your chat room in some fashion. I, I tried to set up an account, but got to that darned, uh, oh, what do you call that joker? The uh, CAPTCHA. Thank you, CAPTCHA. And um, I know somebody said there was an audio button, but I did not pick up on that. But I, what I will do, though, I'll go in later with my... Uh, Linux box and use WebVism, which is a tool to uh, find what the captcha is and to uh, capture that. Yeah, what's interesting about that? Since you, there. since you bring that up, one of the things that I was going to mention as uh, uh, you know, we were talking about we we now have two listeners, right? We're talking to one, and we have an email from another. Uh, jokingly, uh, we also our website is now gathering spam at an increased rate. Another sign of success. You know, you know, you've made it when the spammers are making forum posts less and left and right. And exactly. what's interesting about that is when I make things difficult for a spam bot, it also makes it difficult for your bot. It's the same technology, right? It's reading a web page. And I try to make pages as obtuse to scripts as possible uh, to prevent spamming. And that makes them obtuse to your reader as well. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that until you just said that, but it's a it's an interesting uh, paradox there that I don't want machines to be able to read my page. I, I, the CAPTCHA is there to keep a machine from signing up, but that's exactly, exactly what it does. It keeps you from signing up. It's a strange thing because I understand the need for that, and probably the need for that stuff will only increase. Uh, now, I just thought of an idea that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, someone implements one day. Uh, imagine if uh, somebody one day says, okay, we're going to kill this need for passwords and thievery and all that. We're going to get everybody a chance to have, if you want to do it this way, we're going to get, you can buy a fingerprinter or a retina scanner or this or that, and your fingerprint or your retina scan will be your password and or your approval to get on, bam. And what that would do now... I've heard rumors that some people are even talking about a chip under the skin that could be in a, a kind of an ID card that you would never carry around in your pocket. I would be 
wary of that solution because of privacy concerns. Yeah, I'm looking around for my tinfoil hat right now. <laughs> exactly. And um, I, I don't know. I just think that it's a strange paradox that that which we thought would give us so much promise, meaning the web, is turning out to us to be a strange blursing, uh, a, cur a curse and a blessing, a blursing. <laughs> I and, like uh, that word. And um, I made it up. And um, well, we'll give you credit for it. And uh, it's a strange thing. Um, now, one. Uh, Can we call this episode Blurse You Linux? <laughs> oh, I guess you could. That's it. I'm changing the title. That's perfect. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's a strange thing that in uh, as far as accessibility, that you know, uh, Ubuntu 11.10. If you when you first put it uh, start up from an image, uh, a um, what is it? Uh, the from the live CD. Uh, well, I never could make a hardware CD work. Don't ask me why. Maybe it's the way I burn them. I don't know. Um, but when I start with the um, ISO file with um, um, Fusion, I can press when it after it starts and after I give it a little time. Uh, Control S will start the speech, but you have to turn the volume up because the volume, for whatever reason, they set it very, very, very low. Uh, but it is workable. One can work it, but the what throws me is the um, Unity keyboard commands are different than in um, GNOME. And uh, I hope someday they they're hoping that that'll be b better in by twelve what a twelve oh four, whatever. Right. Yeah. But. Um, Anyway, I'm still going to hang around, but I'm, I'm happy to, that you have me on here. And um, what I really hope is that someday there can be a accessible version of a, a open platform for the phone, so that um, accessibility in it could be built in from the ground up. Of course, I'm hoping that there'll be an open platform for many reasons on phones. Because it's ridiculous that people got that Google. I don't have Android myself, but some people have Android. And they have, like, they bought the Google phone the way you were talking about. They bought the Google phone. And they're being told, oh, you can't have ice cream right. sandwich on it. See, you do listen. <laughs> <laughs> the myth of obsolescence. That's right. You, uh, yeah. it's, it's just because it's not shiny, it's obsolete. Right. And that's that, to me, is a mistake that we're making in our culture and um but uh, there's another somebody that's really smart as can be it, it, his name is jonathan i want to say nado but i'm not sure how to, to pronounce his last name but he is a blind linux user who is uh really active in the linux world and um, i hope someday he'll listen to your podcast or maybe he might already be and I'm, it'd be fun if he could talk to you because he is really, he knows a lot more than I do about this stuff. All right. I, I, we, you brought something up. Uh, have you ever done a uh, bare metal uh, install um, of Linux not in a virtual machine? I 
my sister had an old laptop, which uh, the monitor didn't work anymore. Okay. And I said, well, uh, That's not gonna what are you going to do too with much, that thing? <laughs> no. She said, oh, you can have it. So I took it, and XP was slow as molasses on it. And it wasn't the fault of XP. It was that there was so much trial wear on it and so much stuff, you know. So I just ditched it and put Linux on it, and it runs. So it's that, still a pokey machine, but it works okay. My, my, my question was, uh, did, the, did the installer uh, support your screen reader? Because that's so bare metal, you know, things aren't up yet. Uh, were you able to, to, to do the, use your screen reader to do the install? Are you meaning from the point where I put the CD in? Yes. I did, but it took a heck of a time for me to try to boot because it, unlike, if the BIOS was not set where I could just pop in a CD and run it. Okay. I had to hold down a certain key. I had to hold down the F12 because I did a lot of Googling and found that F12 is the thing from uh the laptops of this brand i had to hold down the f12 and try moving the arrow key a few times and hope that it booted in the cd and after the 10th try it booted into the cd and i was able to get it installed i hope i never have to do that again that's dedication (laughs) that's patience that's right and um now uh Interestingly, speak up the old command line solution. I heard a rumor that it's not being maintained anymore, which is kind of sad. Or uh, with uh, Vinix, if you go into a console and you have to do something by way of the command line, you can use speak up to do it. Uh, but I've heard that in a lot of distributions of Linux, speak up is not around. I don't know how much truth there is into that, so I don't want to steer your listeners wrong. Uh, at all um but i found many programs in linux to be very accessible like uh, gedit and um uh, libreoffice and uh, a few others i've not figured out uh the chat program yet um what do they call that thing it's it's a voice chat program in there uh mangle i've not found that out yet oh, uh so I wonder how XChat would work for you then, because that's an IRC-based client. So like, I, if you wanted to get in our chat room, XChat would be the one that I would think of, or maybe XChat. something based off of Pigeon. Right. I Pigeon, use Pigeon as my IRC I client. I will probably give that a go. Um, so if, I, if you find somebody in the chat room that's sluggish, and <laughs> uh, be patient with me. Um <laughs> Well, you wouldn't notice the difference because uh, Chris and I are in there usually at work, and it may be three hours between responses. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I, he'll type something, and an hour and a half later, I'll type, ha-ha. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it's like an international chess game by mail. That's right. Yeah, well, pretty close some days. Oh, and the other thing about email, I find that the Gmail website is a bugaboo to work with. So I use Thunderbird, and I use uh, my IMAP. That way, if I screw my email up on one machine, I won't mess it up on the other. Uh, that's good thinking. That's yes. very smart thinking. I I use Thunderbird, love Thunderbird, until I moved to Gmail and, and use that exclusively now. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. And because um, Google, uh, regrettably, the Google interface, like Google Docs and all that stuff, it's not, there are a lot of accessibility problems. I have, now, and under interestingly, on the Mac side, I've tried the Google browser with their extension called 
oh gosh, what is it? Access something? Wait a minute, I should know this. Um, Chrome Act. I believe it's Chrome. I want to say Chrome Access or Chrome. This is pitiful. I've used it and I can't even remember the darn. But it's make not something working. up. We won't know the difference. <laughs> I would swear it's Chrome Access, but I, don't quote me on that. But um, Chrome Vox, Chrome Vox. That's okay. it, Chrome Vox. But the uh, I, it's not workable on the Linux side yet. But my hope is that if they can make it cross-platform, no matter where. That may be a real boon to some people. Yeah, see, things like that, it depends on what they tie into. You know, if they're yeah. tying specifically into the the Windows 32 subsystem, then you really can't uh, cross-platform that. And um, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. Uh, uh, Danny, I, I don't mean to um, say you represent all blind people in the world, but uh, do you uh, <laughs> have any statistics off the top of your head about what percentage of, say, the U.S. population are visually impaired, significantly visually oh, impaired? Oh, my. I don't even know. I, I wish I, I did, wondered. but I don't. I, I could, I, though I can tell you, if you go to either, there are two organizations, none of which I've joined, the National Federation of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind. There's also... American Printing House for the Blind, which is more of a informational center and a market. And, uh, you know, they sell things, devices. Um, my guess is that if people go to those uh, resources, they might could get some uh, statistics there. I can tell you there's about a 70% unemployment rate among yeah. our population. Well, my, my point there was just that, you know, you're marginalized among the masses, right? And uh, Linux users, uh, we you know mentioned on a couple of shows back uh, recently, is our, put our numbers at one percent. And so, uh, you know, one percent of computer users in the world are Linux users, and and you might be you know five percent of the one percent. So it's actually kind of amazing that you can do th things as well as you can, uh, really. Oh um, yeah, well, there, I believe me, I, I am certainly not where. It's certainly not where it could be, but by the same token, four years ago, I thought that Orca would never, I thought that Orca would uh, not keep going, but it did. And uh, there was a guy named Willie Wilson. No, I'm sorry, not Willie Wilson, Willie Walker, who worked on, he was with Canonical somehow, I think. But he moved, he he had a, uh, I think, canonical, uh, somehow there was a personnel change. Uh, now there's someone named Joan Marie Diggs who's working on that. But Willie gave it his all, and so does Joni. And um, it's really good. And uh, I, the thing, the problem with Orca is it doesn't have big backing, right. as far as I know. Yep. So it cannot get to the same level as quickly as will the Windows screen reading solutions. But you're right. We're a tiny population, and people, blind people that use Linux, that's a very tiny group. And uh, I hope that can be increased because it's a little easier to use than it used to be, and my hope is that it'll get easier as time goes by. Uh, and uh, what I really hope, now get this. Let us suppose an accessible version of Linux can be put into things like cable set-top boxes or whatever. Can you imagine if you could plug up a computer to a cable box or to a DirecTV box, giving me 
the same level of access that you have. Like I can, I can change channels on my cable TV, but regrettably, I cannot work the on-demand. I cannot work the. Uh, rec- I don't have TiVo in my box. That's why I didn't pay for it. But if I did, uh, there's no current way to do that that I know of anyway. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Now they were they were claiming that I could use my iPhone to do it, but in my city you can't use that yet. So I was real. I've been put out by the cable company because they give me a million different answers. And the problem is some of these companies are so big. First of all, accessibility is not their specialty. But then, too, they're so big that they genuinely don't know what goes on in every bit of their company. And um, so I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in that sense. Um, but I don't. I don't mean to monopolize anything. Did y'all have anything to? Um, it was your show, man. You 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 have not monopolized anything. We were the whole show was about you, uh, listener spotlight. It is or or Borshu Linux. Um, <laughs> but I will if if you guys don't have any other comments, we'll move on into our uh, regular tips and that sort of stuff. Uh, anybody else have anything to say? Well, I, I was just going to say that you know it's nice to hear though that somebody like Canonical has. And I'm sure Red Hat has the same type of people that are pushing the accessibility as far as, at least as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, when I heard the speech, I hated Unity, but, and I still don't like it, but when I listen to Mark Shuttleworth, I don't know if I fully agree with him yet, but I understand it's a little easier to understand why he wants to build Unity because he wants to put on all these different devices. So, there, I understand there's a method to the madness. But it is a madness where uh, Unity is concerned. Oh, oh. definitely. Yes, I, I agree with that. It's, and, you know, and that's one place where you're not marginalized. You are among the uh, 90% of people who hate the interface. So, you know, exactly. good on you there. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, it's been great talking with you all, and I'm just going to hang loose with you uh, for the remainder. All right, great. And uh, so, uh, Christopher. What is our command line tip of the week? Well, this week I thought I'd go easy on everybody. And this is not very geeky, but it can still come in handy if you're using a lot of terminal commands. The command date, just the word date, will give you the current date and time right there in your terminal. And it's often difficult for Linux users to get a date, so that's handy. <laughs> I've been sitting on that one since I read that show note. That's <laughs> I figured. I That's knew it. I knew good. it was gonna bring up some fun. Yeah. You know what's really funny is since I've been muted most of the show because I'm coughing and blowing my nose, I was laughing silently just then. <laughs> I was I was muted and muting myself. <laughs> I was like <laughs> Oh, that was fun. Oh, all right, uh, so date, if you want the date. And you can also do scripting stuff. I do uh, things yep. like, for example, the script I wrote that posts this show automatically uses the date command heavily. So it's not just uh-huh. good for, for getting a date. It's good for making dates as well. <laughs> Seth, our end user tip of the week. What would that be? Well, I thought that uh, recompute.com, which is a company that sells Linux uh, custom-built Linux computers using um, recycled material for the case. So if you are an environmentally conscious uh, Linux user, you might want to check out Recompute. The prices are pretty competitive, um, and if you want to, and it 
looks like it's made out of some type of um, I don't know industrial cardboard. Um, but it's um, it's decent specs on the machine, and you know you're environmentally conscious. So you know if you're one of those people who like drives hybrids and eats tofu and you know <laughs> thinks that people who own pickup trucks are causing the world to go to hell, then look up compute and save it one computer case at a time. So yeah, it's a, a full-on PC with with all the bells. Modern and PC, yeah. yeah. It's it's not like they took an old PC and recycled it they're building a new pc using um post-consumer content or recycled content as much as possible so things like the case. very very politically correct of you awesome well that you know cool. that's, the, that's what those environmental wackos understand so in <laughs> my office they printed dozens of signs that they hung up about recycling which i thought was isn't hilarious. that great yeah <laughs> If I could just get people where I work to stop printing email and putting it in my mailbox, oh, that would God. be huge. I would be with you there, Mark. <laughs> totally. It's called forward. And you know what? It probably doesn't need to be forwarded anyway, because most of the time I got the same copy of that email because I'm on the same mailing list. I thought about writing a parody piece about how all the forwarding is creating this vast wasteland of hard drives full of redundant emails across the world, and that one day we'll have a a nuclear mass where our the amount of hard drives we have will be such that the gravity will cause the world to implode. But <laughs> I just hadn't got the, the full idea thought out yet. I read uh, something produced by the uh, National Archives, I think it was, or maybe uh, Library of Congress, one of those, uh, that something like 98.7% of all data in the world is redundant data. Uh, be that backup copies or things that multiple people got. But of all the data in the world, both hard copy and electronic, almost all of it is redundant. Hmm. Or Very interesting. A, huge, a huge percentage of electronic data is 100% disposable. I was talking to one of our server engineers at work because our one of the servers that houses a lot of our like home directories and stuff was getting full, and he said... He said, I'm working on it, trying to get them to give, come up with a policy and a plan. Um, so I gave him some stats the other day. He said, fully one-third of all the files on that entire server have not been modified since 06. Right. Archival <laughs> stuff. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the spreadsheet of who was at the meeting six years ago. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But particularly in business, man, you never want to throw anything away. You might need that. So, some never lawyer know. might call someday with a summons. Well, it's oh, funny you just, should say that that's because just like with my I, my. Oh, go ahead, I Danny. Was, uh, go ahead, Danny. I was in a situation where I had to dredge up an old email, and I'm just so thankful that I saved it because it was an email uh, dealing with a uh, something that I bought years ago. And oh, um, by the way, I made a little recording called everyday linux before i knew about your no it was called everyday linux use and it was before i knew about your podcast and right, i think what i'm gonna you. do is make a podcast called average grab bag and i haven't <sighs> found anywhere to post it yet because the web posting services some of them are hard to understand right. so um, i'll let you know when i get that cranked out sure chris what were you gonna say um, I was going to say that, you know, the the whole 
saving you on to anything and everything until the day you die. I think my principal's in the same boat. Um, he's got email dating back to the 2000s yeah. and I, before. As a, one of the negative side effects of my job as the IT manager is I recently received a summons from a court of law uh, asking me to provide all emails to or from a particular user. Ever. Ow. All emails to or from a user. Ever. Hmm. That happens. Yeah. And and a judge doesn't understand, sorry, it's been deleted. It was three years old, so I deleted it. Um, and so, yeah, we have all emails ever sent, and I had to sort through them, and it took several days. Uh, but, yeah, that's that kind of stuff happens. And that's why there's so much digital bloat in the world. I think there's a new law now that says that Internet providers have to save a copy of every single email for three to five years. I don't know whether that's gone through yet, but uh, just wanted All to let you know three. that. Yeah, I would know that if uh, if that were true. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. I'm sure somebody's trying to make it that way. Um, but yeah. you know, in education and government and medical, uh, there's a whole CYA thing there, and yeah. it's all about. Um, documenting everything i've seen you know and and the worst is outlook who stores everything in one big file and you get a file system that can't handle a file more than two gigs right because uh, it's still on the old windows 95 fat system and you've got this one file that's too big and you can't do anything with it you can't move it off because the file system pukes on it yeah that, whatever genius came up with the idea of putting everything in one file uh needs to be shot and then drawn <laughs> and then shot again <laughs> And then the ground that buried it is salted. <laughs> I fought in your general direction. <laughs> um, now, to, to bring things back into to, you know actual Linux thought for a second, um, I was going to bring up that, you know, the, the Nopics disk that I was talking about earlier in the show for that I use for rescue. Um, they have a screen re reader side of their system called Adrian Nopics. I think that's how you say that. Okay, um, I'm curious to know what, uh, where to get that because I could run it in a virtual machine and play with it. So maybe if you if you would like, you can send me a link to that. We will. We'll put the link in the show notes, but we'll also make sure we send you a copy. Yep. I I found it when I was digging around for, you know, screen readings, screen reading programs in Linux, and that was one of them that came up. Is that there's a and I accidentally a long time ago downloaded it thinking it was a Nopix disc and was shocked when it wasn't. Yeah, apparently the Klaus Nopix or not something like that, his wife is visually impaired and not so he developed a, a version yeah. of it. That's cool. All right, According well, to Wiki, so it must be right. <laughs> yeah, if you can't believe anonymous strangers on the internet, who can you believe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that'll I'll just bring uh, the show to an end, and, and we'll talk about where you can find out more about us, how you can contact us, in just the same way that old Danny Boy did, uh, where the pipes playing when when you did. Uh, well, there's you, Danny Boy. Yeah, uh, so uh, com uh, is where you can find all of our shows, uh, the Everyday Linux and Tightwad Teacher and Tightwad Tech and the Hot Route and the Periodic Table is our newest show. And I encourage you to go listen to that one because it was a lot of fun. And it's uh, it's our new sort of talk show slash, uh, I call it Rampant Anarchy with Style is the sub uh, subtitle I've given that one. So uh, be sure to check it out. com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, just OP, both of those places. If you want to call us like Keith did, that phone number is 559 I am Opie. 
give us a call. We will play your voicemail on the show. Or uh, if you don't even want to mess with that, you can go right to our website and click the Leave Us a Voicemail button, and Google Voice will call you. And so I think I'm going to stop right there. Guys, anything else to say before we say goodnight? Yeah, I hear there's a podcast called One Mill on Workout on oh, the Oh, did I skip Network that one? Well. Sorry. Man, I was just guy, working he, off the top of my head. He's so excited about his new pet, <laughs> the periodic table, that I've been kicked to the curb, apparently. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. One Mill, One Workout. <laughs> I, I went through the list off the top of my head. I knew I was leaving one out because I only had five and we have six. You know why we have six? I'm going to be honest with you. The reason we have six is the way they're lined up on the left-hand side of the page, there was four and then and one. And your OCD. And my OCD wouldn't allow it, so we had to have a sixth show. So I have a friend who says he's it. so OCD, he calls it CDO because that's alphabetical. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's good. All right, folks. So uh, thanks for being with us, uh, Danny, and uh, my usual host of of troublemakers thank you for being with us and so i think that will just end this episode of everyday Medicine.